Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Years ago, ransomware came onto the scene, and at the time, it was largely seen as a nuisance. Bad actors taking a company's documents hostage and asking for a ransom that, when paid, the documents were often returned in full. As the Colonial Pipeline ransomware incident showed, though, the stakes for dealing with ransomware have grown considerably. What is ransomware? How does it work? How serious is it? Join us and let's find out. So we'll we'll kick the uh, kick the show off with the the question of what is ransomware, and I think you know if you're listening to this, you probably have a a decent amount of insight into it. But just to kind of set the stage, um, that at a high level, this is a specific form of malware, and the intent of this malware is that it's going to get into a network and spread and take all of the documents uh, associated with that network or found on that network, uh, encrypt them, put them somewhere else, uh, and then present the message to, um, to the affected parties saying, hey, we got, your, we got your data and you need to pay us to get your data back. Uh, so, so the way that this typically happens is there's some, some kind of initial exploit that is used to get on a network. Uh, we've seen kind of over the years in, in various botnets, uh, there's uh, many botnets have been used for the purpose of ransomware, uh, but there's there's typically some form of exploit that is the initial foothold to get onto a network. Um, you know, it, 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 actually, Drew, what do you think? Because my, my understanding of most, most ransomware attacks is that they're not particularly targeted. And then it's kind of just like casting a wide net. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Very few ransomware attacks, I think, could ever be pointed to as being truly targeted. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's more than, you know, we know out there, but many times it's a uh, prey and spray method, yep. right? Yep. You just see what's out there. It's, it's like when you connect your computer to the internet, right? If you're connected directly to the internet, you have a public-facing IP, uh, and you start monitoring, uh, you know, in... 20 minutes, you're going to start getting bots that are just scanning to see, oh, do you have SSH open? Do you have, you know, all these other things? Yep. And that's that's just what they're doing. It's just scripted attacks, nothing personal behind them, not targeted uh, in, in most cases. Um, yep. I, I would I would dare almost say um, in almost every case, um, yep. it's not targeted. So, yeah, and, and that's that's the... That that's one of the I think themes that we're going to talk about quite a bit here is that like this is not not overly complex malware. This is not APT, um, but typically there's an initial foothold. So there's some exploit that gets the malware onto the network, and then it will usually use a different approach to spread throughout the network. So it has its initial foothold, and especially if you're kind of like in a Windows environment, um, you can start. Getting credentials, getting like like uh, authentication tokens, using those to propagate across the network, getting more tokens and more credentials. Um, for anyone that's ever done like an internal network penetration test within a Windows environment, it's been a few years, so I, I imagine that it's probably a little bit more difficult in some ways. But generally speaking, once you have credentialed access, going from credentialed access to administrative access is something you can automate. Um, 
So, so you have the initial foothold in, you have the propagation internally, typically using a different method. And then you have this malware that has significant presence across an entire like, corporate network or, or enterprise network. And from there, it's going to generate a cryptographic key or a set of cryptographic keys. It's going to take all the data on all the machines that it is presently sitting on, encrypt that data, and then send the key away. So now... Whoever's working there that, that logs in and sees like, hey, what what happened to all the data? Uh, you no longer have access to it because it is now encrypted. And, and encrypted is such that it's like, yeah, th- there's no way that you can take the encrypted data now and get your original data back if you don't have that key that they sent away from the network. So now you are sitting there, you have, you have all of your encrypted data, there's nothing that you can really do with it, and you are presented with an option. And I think I think I've seen some pictures where the presentation here is going to be like a desktop wallpaper um, or, or like uh, or just like some notification that pops up on the desktop. But it's like, hey, by the way, if you want your data back, you got to pay us some cryptocurrency. Oh, um, you mean just like a shortcut? Just just <laughs> like a shortcut. <laughs> wow. And so that's hey, that's yeah, it. I, that's that's the whole that that's ransomware in a nutshell. And 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 we say it in a nutshell, but I mean, that that is it. That that is, there is nothing more to it than that. There's more technical things, right? Like ensuring they're using the right cryptographic cache, or um, you know, uh, some type of um, me- encryption mechanism uh, that can stand the test of time, so that you don't have researchers reverse engineer it and then break it later on, which has happened before in the early variants of of ransomware. But it is almost as simple uh, as it sounds when Chris was laying it out. Like that is why, in my opinion, it's became fairly popular, right? It allows for fairly unsophisticated attackers to start targeting a wide range of folks and getting huge return on investment there. Yeah, in the... uh in the early days of crypto ransomware, like you were saying, um, the authors, they would have bugs in their schemes yep. so that people could reverse engineer the malware. And I guess they would embed the crypto key in there or they would use some made up crypto function, which is not cryptographically secure. But now in 2021, uh, ransomware really is commoditized yep. and it's it's good software. It's quite reliable. <laughs> it, it, it turns out that it's got a lot of investment. A lot yeah. of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of money sunk into it. So much so that it is packages that you can buy online. Want to start your own ransomware campaign? Like you can buy that. There's um, literally a GitHub repository of code that is like roll your own ransomware. So you don't even need to know how to write the ransomware. You don't even know need to know like all of the inner parts of how it works. They literally like run this script and. And we'll we'll give you your own custom ransomware back. Like that is that is the level to which it has been commoditized. Um, and and one thing that I think it is a a theme that we're going to continue to come back to here, because at least for me, it's one of the most important or or interesting parts about ransomware is um, like typically when you're looking at different attack patterns or types of malware, there's going to be the ease of implementation. And then there's going to be the scale of impact. And typically, when ease of implementation is, when it's really easy, 
then the impact is also not that high. So like typically there's this relationship between how hard is it to actually make versus how impactful is it going to be when you launch it and more effort means more impact. Ransomware is this now in this place where it's like really easy to do even for somebody that has no idea what they're doing and the impact is massive. So there's this asymmetry uh between, you know, implementation difficulty and 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 return on investment that I think is one of the main things driving its I guess proliferation. It, it, the asymmetry really is so wild and I think part of it that I find so fascinating is the leveraging of cryptography because the internet runs on crypto. It's why we are able to log into our bank accounts online securely and taking such a powerful technology and using it in this capacity is it's unfortunate. Yep. Yep. It's uh, yeah. I, I feel like honestly, my perception of ransomware has always been like, uh, come on, really? Really? Like, this is this is what you're doing and this is what we have to deal with. I've always had this kind of like, just, uh, uh, it, it, it bugs me because of that. Um, but, you know, it, I think as has been, as has been proven out, especially by these recent attacks, it's like, whether or not you think it's kind of ridiculous what's going on here. It's clearly something that we need to be paying attention to and, and finding better mitigations for. Uh, I think we're go- going to get into it later in the show, but uh, to your point where you're like, really? I always think of getting robbed at gunpoint. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like you're walking home late at night, you have some cash in your wallet and someone jumps you with a gun. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> you're going to give them your wallet. Yep. You know? Yep. Or you're going to fight and be an idiot and then you're not going to have your wallet anymore. You're not going to have a lot of other things too. And I think that that holds true for ransomware too. I think that's a good that's a good analogy. So I'm sure one of the things that a lot of folks listening here are interested in knowing is how do you actually avoid ransomware? And I don't think we have anything that is Super. We we don't have a silver bullet. We're not like, oh, well, if you do this, you're going to be great. But there is some stuff. There is some stuff that you can do that at least put you in a better position in the event that uh, you get hit with ransomware. And it's not glamorous. Like what we're about to tell you, you're. It's not going to. We're not building up to like this. Hey, we're. Uh, this is this is what you do, right? It, it literally is practice normal security precautions, right? Yep. Security best wow. practices, ensuring your systems are patched, ensuring that you are running uh, the latest code uh, on, you know, even your services, your your HR systems, your uh, all these systems that you have to buy licensings for. Uh, you have to continue buying that licensing, unfortunately, so that you can have that continued support. Right. And it's required. And there's a lot of businesses that are like, oh, we just paid $50,000 for this HR system and uh, we aren't going to continue paying the $5,000 license every year because we don't need to. And then they learn that, oh, the software is uh, vulnerable, which is exactly what has happened to some companies. Like that is a real world example of what has happened to companies that have been compromised Mm -hmm. um, and ransomed. Yeah. And just principle of least privilege. I'm. I immediately think of offices that might still be running 
you know, Windows XP with a single administrator login. Oh, without question. Which is used everywhere. How about how about like every hospital that has all of the Windows embedded CE that like cannot be updated because then you have to go through, uh, I think it's FDA, like uh, FDA approval. Recertification. Recertification. Recertification of a product. Yeah. And that's yep. a big thing in, in the um, like medical space, right? Once a product is certified, like no one wants to touch it because yeah. then it's a liability if you do. Yeah. So a uh, part of that's actually FUD. The FDA or is it the FDA? They support um, patching, really? oh, retaining they, certification. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so and they have a whole team that actually will work with you. So like Logan is correct yeah. on that, but that is the, what I, what I was saying is that is the mindset of the companies mm. like no one but wants to be liable for that it's a lot easier to say that than to actually patch your things but maybe yeah, that's right. for another show <laughs> and, I, and i think it's actually i think it's a re- of all the of all the times when it's like well i can't patch i might break something it's like well if you break a defibrillator or you break like a, a ventilator you break something that is actually keeping somebody alive your impact of failure to patch is it is like a human outage it's not uh it's it's not yeah. great so well, and that's why people are so adverse to doing that, right? Yeah, is because they don't want to be the ones that's like, oh, we ran the latest software, and it didn't shock the person at the right time, so now they're dead. Yeah, yep. here's my lawsuit. <laughs> the, I think one of the ways that you can, you know, normal normal security precautions aside, I think if you if you pull apart the way that uh, ransomware typically behaves. In that you have it has its initial foothold and then it has its propagation. You know, in my experience doing network penetration testing, that internal propagation is really aided by a number of things once you're on an internal network. And Windows networks really suffer from this. Um, you know, and it, it's part of it's part of you know, new companies that are just coming into existence these days, where it's like, oh, you have a remote workforce, everybody's on MacBooks. Um, you know, we have single sign-on and all that. You're in a much, much better place. But in reality, if you're a company that's been around for 20 plus years, which is, you know, the vast majority of like big companies, especially utilities, especially companies that are fulfilling critical, um, you know, critical roles for for government entities, um, you you kind of jumped the analog to digital gaps. So you've probably gone from I'm going to run everything on prem, and then like I'm going to throw everything up in the cloud, and then I'm going to bring everything back down on prem again. And now we're going to have like this hybrid. I have some stuff you know within my corporate network and some stuff without. And and so these are the sorts of environments that are typically ripe for uh, for for ransomware. And these are these are honestly the environments that we hear about this happening the most, especially like. You know, we're, we're going to talk about some high profile ones, but the Colonial Pipeline hack, the New York City MTA, uh, the Atlanta. It's like all of these public, all of these public sector institutions or like public sector adjacent institutions that have been around forever. And I'm guessing you're running Windows networks because um, when you get into a Windows network, you have your, your user account is not something that is only applicable to your own machine. It's typically going to be a domain user. And what a domain user means is that that user has some semblance of permissions on all of the machines in that domain, which you can effectively say is like is the entire enterprise. So let's say that we have a specific enterprise, you have your credentials to log into your machine. But at the same time, those credentials are probably going to work in a bunch of other places. For instance, if you have a file share, System, so it's like, oh, you have your home directory, so that if you know, maybe you have the the uh, desktop that you log into at your workstation, and then there's some other facility that you're going to walk over to and, and log in as well, and you have a folder that follows you. Like 
there is a folder, there, there is a, a file share system somewhere that your credentials give you some level of access to to make that happen. So, so in a Windows environment, your credentials typically will give you more access than just the machine that you're currently logged on to because you have access controls applied at the domain level. So, so you have this domain joined user, you have this domain of machines that you potentially have more privileges to. And, and one of the interesting things about, uh, about the way that Windows works, and, and again, perhaps this has changed with the newer versions of Windows, uh, is that when someone, when some party authenticates to your machine, they actually leave the token that they use to authenticate with in memory on the machine. So if I am able to find a machine that I have administrative access to, I can actually run this software that looks through memory and gets the tokens out that I can then use those tokens and authenticate to other machines. I've actually seen situations where um, antivirus software that is scanning the entire network is given an administrative token. And when it logs into these individual machines, it leaves its token on the machine. So literally the security software that is supposed to be... yes. Yes, it is a very popular antivirus product. That was the uh-huh. main avenue for me to get it. Like domain admin, domain admin access uh, was literally an antivirus uh, piece of software. So yes, yeah, so it, it logs into every machine. It has the authority to log into every single machine. So if you get that token, you can now log into every machine that that antivirus product can go. So my experience is that once you get into a Windows network, it is very easy to go from low privileged user to domain admin pretty quickly. And so the if you are if you are in a situation where you are dealing with uh, a Windows network, one of the big things that you can do is figure out like basically groom your uh, group permissions. So you know like Logan brought up before, principle of least privilege, every user on your domain should only have access to exactly what they need and nothing more like this is to and and these things require attention over time this is why it's this is such a hard problem to solve because it might be that at a point in time you take the effort to review okay yes all the users are in the right places but unless you have a process or um uh, I, i guess just system in place to monitor how this group membership changes over time it's so often to be like oh well you know today i'm on this special project I need access to this. And somebody's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give you access to this. And when they're off that project, it's never removed, right? So so over time, access control group membership always decays. And especially in Windows environments, always. it's one of the biggest things that is going to enable escalation of privileges. And to, to the thing that I was saying earlier about how newer Windows versions probably have better um, better kind of protections around this, one of the big problems of the Windows ecosystem is reverse compatibility. Like, sure, if everybody's running running the newest version of Windows Server and the newest version of Windows Desktop, then maybe this isn't this isn't possible. But your old file server that's running Windows XP or Windows Server 2003, like those ones will still only support those older versions that are vulnerable. So until an entire environment is upgraded to the most recent protocols and those older ones are are disabled, you're still going to be in in a place where you're vulnerable to this sort of sort of escalation. So so while while standard security hygiene is absolutely kind of be going to be your biggest uh, biggest defense against ransomware, specifically with respect to Windows environments, 
if you really want to frustrate any attacker's ability to go from low privilege to, hey, I have presence across the entire network, Windows domain group membership is going to be one of the main ways that they do that. Well put. And uh, to the point of, um, you know, this decaying over time, this is why we have security teams. It's a really hard problem, especially for companies that have been around for many, many years. Um, uh, Whenever the, if the security team starts the program of reviewing access for tokens, um, I can pretty much guarantee they'll run across some tokens that were created by someone who's no longer at the company and no one knows what it's for, but it might be for production and it might be required for the business to work. <laughs> yep. And this is <laughs> to the point earlier of like, it's not glamorous. That's the thing. It's like there's, oh, can we, can we, there, is there some silver bullet? Is there something we could do that we're going to stop at dead in its tracks? And that's, that's yet another point in favor of ransomware being really effective is like, it's not sexy how to stop this it's like it's the it's the most mundane most just kind of bottom of the barrel like it's it, we've known that we've had to do it for years <laughs> we don't do a great job of it you it's super it. tedious it's it's chipping away at a mountain if you have a if you have a small security team but like really that that and that is that is why ransomware is so damn effective so um yeah uh may not be able to completely prevent uh, a ransomware attack but you can mitigate the risk by keeping backups as everyone mm-hmm. should keep backups and um these backups they should be well tested uh the company should make sure that the backups do work and that um it is an effective checkpoint for the company at a given point in time and you know just as we're talking about securing the network and the company need to secure the backups as well. <laughs> it doesn't help if your backups get popped immediately after everything else. And, and some ransomware is, I mean, the, the authors are getting smarter, right? Even the commodity ransomware is getting smarter. So if your backups are always connected to your network, um, like you can have a backup that does that. That's fine. Um, but if you're going to have another backup, Make sure it's disconnected at some level. Mm-hmm. And this could be your tapes, right? That's a that's a very well used, I guess I should say, maybe maybe not the most effective. Um, but it certainly is most efficient right now for dollar per megabyte or dollar per gigabyte. And uh, but that is a totally offline backup, right? Unless a fire happens at where you're storing them or water damage happens, or some other freak accident, some huge EMP goes off, and it decides to wipe all your tapes for whatever weird reason, um, or <laughs> if you, your tapes get wiped. It, EMP doesn't decide anything. It just does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, EMP. <laughs> <laughs> um, y- your, your backups are going to be uh, you know, a reliable source so that you can not pay it if you either don't have the money to pay the ransom or, uh, you know, your company policy is just don't pay the ransom. We'll talk about that point later in the episode about what what you should do what, once you get hit or, um, you know, uh, whether you should or should not pay. But tapes are a great offline backup, right? Spinning disks uh, that are not connected to a server that are, um, you know, just chilling out in a warehouse, also great. 
backup if you if you don't have the infrastructure for tapes right now. So make sure I I, I just you know you can have you should have multiple tiers of backups, but I just want to make sure when we say like oh yeah, make sure you have backups. You ha- you don't have backups that are just always connected to your network, and then those also get encrypted, and you're like oh, but I followed what these podcast folks said, and then they led me astray. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Now we're saying do more backups and test them, like Logan said, right? That's the most important thing is testing them. A lot of teams, their disaster recovery process, they'll do like tabletop disaster recovery type items. And they're like, hey, okay. Um, Like, yep, yeah, we got backups. Check that box, right? But they never test their backups. And then they learn, oh, their backup process is actually not compatible with the system that they're using, right? And then you have a huge failure when you have some type of data failure. Um, you know, you don't have to go as extreme as I've seen some CISOs do with board approval, of course. Uh, but they just like wipe a server. Uh, now they back up the server beforehand, but they don't tell the team that. But they just wipe a server and they're like, all right, we got to get that back up. <laughs> like, <and> that's that's <laughs> how go. they do their DR testing. I was just like, damn. You you got some job security because I don't even know if I would do that as a CISO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's so funny. Of the just like I'm gonna smash this just to test you. The, yeah. the this this reminds me of a um, DefCon talk that I saw once upon a time of this guy who um, I forget I forget who it was, but somebody broke into his uh, apartment and stole his desktop, and then also stole his backups because his backups were in his closet. And so oh, it's no. like, yeah, it, one, one of the one of the critical like things to think about when talking about backups is are the backups going to fail in the same failure mode as the real data, right? And if the answer to that is yes, it's not a good backup. And it's also like just because once upon a time you had a backup <clears throat> like done or a backup policy does not mean that it has continued to work and that the data that has been backed up is actually the data that you need. Um, like this is akin to, you know, you should be checking your fire extinguishers on a regular basis because you, you know what time is a really bad time to figure out that your fire extinguisher doesn't work? When you actually when there's need a it. fire. Yeah. <laughs> Same deal goes for backups. And and uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw this whole discussion around backups in in the in the same bucket that we've been talking about of like super not glamorous. Talk about of all the things that I really don't want to have to like deal with on a regular basis like have you done your backups? Like, ugh. but there are plenty of services that will do this. And I think uh, th- there's lots of services out there that are now making money off of like, we'll defend you from ransomware. And if I had to venture a guess, I'm willing to bet that a lot of them um, are focusing on like, we'll back your data up in such a way that it's not going to be able to be hit by ransomware. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, Chris talked about that person who gave a talk at DEF CON. Um, the talk is called Pwned by the Owner. Uh, and it is by, oh, actually, I don't know how to pronounce this, uh, Zaz, Z-O-Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. it is, it is one of my favorite DEF CON talks because it it's ramps up. I, I don't want to give anything away, but it ramps up it. into absolute hysteria. Yep. And yep. it is, it is amazing. If you haven't watched it, it's like 30 minutes or 20 minutes, something like that. It was a faster talk. It is hilarious. Yeah, Definitely. Af- at the end of this episode, we're, uh, you should listen to it. We'll put a link to it in the description notes. Let's just say that he gets his laptop back, um, but it's not the standard <laughs> way that you would get your data back without backups. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. But 
So all that being said, you know, I think I think one of the takeaways here is like how to avoid ransomware. If you're an enterprise that is particularly large and has been around for a few decades, the answer is you, if you, you're not going to. If somebody wants to hit you with ransomware, you're probably going to be susceptible to it. So that then begs the question of what do you do when you do get hit with ransomware? I think Logan, you had some some great guidance about television. Oh Lord. Yeah, so um, in 2018, Atlanta got hit by a ransomware attack. And it, I believe that made it to the national news because it was uh, one of the biggest ransomware attacks on a city to date. And um, I don't know, uh, the local news, they took a video of the screen that of a one of the machines that had been hit and it showed the ransomware note along with the address to send uh, the ransom to. And then after they aired that and showed that on the news, um, the, the bad guys took <laughs> the address down. So the <laughs> ransom couldn't be paid anymore. <laughs> oh, so, so yeah, don't don't put your don't put the wallet address on television as a as a first step. And and uh, how much was the ransom that they needed to pay on that one? So so that's the thing. Uh, at that point, it was about fifty grand. And fifty grand. And when it was all said and done, I believe Atlanta had to pay um, two and a half million dollars to recover from the attack. Ah. Yeah. So they they saved money. That you know a great great ordeal right there. Yeah. Uh, that's of course that's using fuzzy math. Uh, when I say that, save money. Uh, <laughs> a government term, if you don't know what that is, actually. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think this is a good example. When this happened, I went on the local news in Atlanta, and I think I took the unpopular opinion of saying, um, you know, when you've been hit in this manner and you don't have backups, I, you just have to pay it. Yeah, there's not much you of a choice. You have to pay and hope you get the data back. Yeah. And especially at that cost. Just pay it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that cost, right? Now, the pipeline, and we'll talk a little bit more about the pipeline, but uh, the pipeline, you know, their ransom was $5 million, right? There's Still other ransoms that are there for it. Yep. Yeah, there are other ransoms out there for tens of millions of dollars, right? Just sometimes if it's low and you don't have trust in your system or your recovery systems, the answer sometimes is just pay it. Right. It is the unfortunate reality in which we live in. And this becomes a lot more complicated if you're a, let's say, a, um, uh, a utility that's not privately owned. Right. So you're owned by a city or um, some municipality uh, or you're a government entity. Right. Are you negotiating with terrorists now or are you, you know, the. This, there, there are so many facets to it. So when we say just pay it, remember that may not be able to be applicable to everyone. And in some cases, it may not be smart, right? If you have a small business and the ransom is $40 million. Um, That's not tenable. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your small business, you know, I, I, I wish you luck and hope your small business is making $40 million. But let's, let's talk about realities. You're probably not raking in $40 million a year. With their small business, right? There are some that do, but not not everyone. 
And uh, certainly not my business. We're not raking in $40 million a year. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if it's like, all right, do you pay the $40 million or do you start from scratch, right? If you're Joe Smo flower business, like you ain't paying $40 million, you, you're going to start from scratch, right? You're going to log into your Gmail because you're probably still using personal email for your emails and try to recover as much as possible. So if Nike, oh man, if Nike ever gets hit with ransomware, there needs to be Just someone that it. makes it. I've been thinking about this the whole time. <laughs> oh no. Just pay it. <laughs> Just pay it. And like have, have a, uh, oh, I'm going to make this shirt now. Have a Bitcoin symbol on it. <laughs> oh, but it's got to have, it's got to have the swoosh. It's got to have a swoosh in there. Yeah, yeah, somehow. yeah, yeah. It's going to, it's going to have, it's going to have the swoosh in there. Um, changed at least 40%. So Nike doesn't sue me. At least 40%. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not very much more than that though. And, th- and that's this, this, this opinion, like you said, Logan, it's like, it's not, it's not overly popular, but here's the reality of the situation. You don't really have a choice. If this was back in like when ransomware first came on the scene and like we were talking about earlier where where there's vulnerabilities in the software that they're using or they're not using a real cryptographic scheme or they're leaving the key on the uh, on the machine itself like all these different things there were bugs in their software that you could then exploit to get the data back but assuming that the ransomware that you have been hit with is one of the newer variants where they have had years of iteration and improved how it works and, and gotten rid of the bugs and it's actually like well-written software. It's cryptographically secure. You cannot, you cannot get rid of cryptography. You cannot, you cannot decrypt something without the key and you don't have the key. So you're really not in much of a situation to do anything else. So in the best case scenario, if you can afford the ransom and you can pay it, that's the most likely way that you're actually going to get your data back. And it's not guaranteed either. Like there are cases where maybe they threw away the key or maybe you disclosed the wallet address on public television or maybe there's a bug in the software or or something to that effect. Just because you pay the ransom doesn't guarantee that you're getting your documents back. I would actually say that nowadays it does just because it's almost like the it's almost like the PayPal or eBay problem where it's like, well, if people are good, we got to make sure that people trust our platform so that when they pay for something, they actually get what they thought that they paid for. They're like the same problem exists in ransomware where it's like, well, we need to, with, from a user experience standpoint, we need to make sure that folks that pay the ransom are, feel really confident that they're going to get their data back. Uh, and so like in most cases, when you pay now, again, years of iteration on the software, you actually get your data back. Uh, so yeah, it, unfortunately, if you get hit with it's ransomware awful. and and you don't have you don't have backups and you don't have maybe you're using you you're not using some third party service that's actually helping you or anything like that, you got to pay it, pay it, or you don't get your documents back. Yeah, and you know maybe if you've made backups that day or that week, it's you know. You do the cost-benefit analysis, and it really is just in your best interest to restore from backups. I don't think I have case scenario. I don't think I've ever been somewhere. Granted, I haven't been in that many different places, but I don't think I've been anywhere where backup discipline was such that if there was a complete data failure, it's going to be like, oh yeah, no, cool. We 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 totally have business continuity like in place where we can go restore from backup. Backups are always like a thing that 
folks aspire to. And then when you actually go to the backups, it's, I, I mean, like my mental model yeah. is like you're going into some closet where you open it and and you hear like like water dripping in the background, and like a bunch of like like spiders, like there's cobwebs on everything, <laughs> and it's like yeah, this is this is our backup, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> That's my mental model of what what a backup actually is. <laughs> sitting next to some like blink 182 cd or something like that <laughs> yeah. yep 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 actually that's not fair they're still putting out good albums yes. are they are they well, i i let's I let, so. we're gonna leave we're gonna table that that's good that's a whole <laughs> separate episode separate episode <laughs> T- tweet us your thoughts on that uh <laughs> and there's been a number of high profile ransomware attacks recently like ransomware is is really been in the news now it's been around for a while but it has been particularly relevant recently and i think what really kicked this off is the colonial pipeline hack like that if you if you yeah, lived in the southeast absolutely. yeah yeah y'all even if you didn't live in the southeast so i'm i'm originally from the southeast so i was hearing plenty about it gas prices skyrocketed you saw plenty of pictures online of people like filling up trash bags with gasoline like just Don't America, come on! Every single time, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, you did that. No, no, no. I said, "Don't do that." Oh, okay, I was about to be like, "Oh man, it's really going to reshape this podcast if I find out that Drew is uh, filling gas bags with gasoline, a gas bagger, a gas bag. <laughs> trash bags with gasoline." Yeah, right. That's yeah, thing no. Now. I, I do some stupid things. Uh, just nothing that stupid. Not gas uh, baggins. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the pipeline in itself also shows some other problems, right? The, the the problem with getting your data back is not the only problem when it comes to being ransomed, right? If you're a high-profile company or a utility, and I have a soft spot in my heart for utilities, but if you're, you're a high-profile company, your media outreach or, or your media approach has to align with what you're doing or forever it will be a failure. No matter how well you handle your ransomware uh, situation, if your media approach to it is bad, then it's going to be a hard failure for your company um, uh, on that front. And that's what a lot of people forget is they always think about the tech aspect all right, of, of ransomware. Oh, we lost our data. Or they always think about like, oh, now we need to buy Bitcoin, right? If they don't already have that. Uh, and we need to pay it. Well, okay. Uh, there are other parts in a ransomware attack when it comes to high-profile companies or higher-profile targets such as utilities. Don't do for the love of God. So this is what happened. Um, we had the uh, pipeline got ransomed. Right? Came out. They paid the ransom, but at the time we had uh, political officials. Uh, White House press secretary and stuff like that saying they are not paying the ransom. They've already paid the ransom when that <laughs> stuff was coming out, right? Like, and then it came out, they bought and, and paid the ransom for $5 million. That's and wild. then it came out after like, okay, they already paid for it. Now we have government people, you know, depending on your view on government, doing what they usually do or misspeaking. Being really right? efficient, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, saying like, oh, they're not going to pay. They got backups, uh, which they did have backups, but they paid the un the decrypting software was taking so long 
that they still had to restore from backups for the majority of the systems because it was taking that long. So they paid, probably restored maybe less than, you know, 10% of their total systems. It was a very small amount of systems that were fully restored with that software. Um, And then the rest they had to restore with backups, right? So, So that forever will be used as an example of how not to handle a ransomware attack. Not only was there crazy outcry to the public because the public generally doesn't understand ransomware, and that's kind of why we're doing this episode, is because there's a lot of like voodoo black magic that a lot of people think ransomware is, and we're here to demystify that for you, right? Uh, But there was a poor PR campaign uh, around that. And if you do have a plan, if you have a company policy for ransomware, Make sure it includes things like PR campaigns. Make sure it includes what information is going to be approved to be released, who approves that information, and no one else can talk about it, right? Make sure when you're showing newscasters your screens that they are edited or that you have first approval before it's shown. So the address that the ransom goes to isn't shown on public TV, right? Uh, I just want to say right now that, um, yeah, I didn't know that until Atlanta made that mistake. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it, it is a uh, w- we have the benefit of learning from many, many other people's mistakes because many, many people have been hit by ransomware. And, and it's easy for us to, like, criticize their approach before, like afterwards. Right. It we're, is. We're, 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 yeah. we're the we're the Monday night, like couch QBs. Right. So this is like, I would have done it totally different. And it's like, if you would have done it, uh, I wouldn't have worked at all, actually, uh, because you're on a couch. <laughs> and uh, so so this is th- this is the thing. Try to learn from other people's mistakes. Right. On, on all that. Don't be a pipeline. Don't, don't, don't for the love of God. But I, I mean, they're and it's not just them. Right. We're picking on them and they're going to be picked on for years to come. Uh, They're going to be a great example of like what not to do. And then the response that you should do as a person living in the area that's affected. uh, There's great areas to learn from what not to do from there, like putting gas in trash bags. Doesn't work. (laughs) Catches your car on fire sometimes. Um, (laughs) But but, you know, that it's not just a pipeline, right? Atlanta is another one that happened. And Logan, I mean, you've already talked a little bit about the Atlanta ransomware attack, but you're the one that I think has the most knowledge out of us three on the Atlanta ransomware attack because you were being interviewed by newscasters for it, right? Yeah, and uh, frankly, I forget all of the details, but the city of Atlanta got hit. There was a $50,000 Bitcoin ransom. And in my judgment, I thought it would be wise to pay that if they did not have backups and... Yeah, ultimately, they had to pay two and a half million dollars to recover from the situation. Well, at least they didn't set a precedent that would make it so that ransomware became more popular. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Not the right approach to take. And there was also the New York City uh, MTA. Like that, that, that literally the MTA that runs the subways in, in, in New York City got hit as well. And we were looking into... Very like what are the different high profile ransomware attacks in in preparation for this show? And you'll see that like a lot of them are 
basically public utilities or publicly adjacent utilities or public services. And I think this is really a um, a point in favor of the analysis that it's like Windows environments, older Windows environments, ones that are probably not properly maintained and are easy to escalate within. And that is like like that is good. That description is going to cover the vast majority of these public utilities or public sector entities or, or whatever you want to call them, whether it's going to be yeah, supplying energy or water or um, you know, gas and any of these different things that are like, it's been around forever. It's not particularly well-funded. They haven't had a security team. It's been decades. They've had stuff on-prem. It's just the entire ecosystem is absolutely ripe to be hit hard by ransomware. And I think that's I think that's why we keep seeing them happen, and keep seeing this happen and affect these sorts of entities. Hey, fellas, I um, I don't know if we've really mentioned uh, if we've really covered what to do it entirely when it comes to paying the ransom because uh, the compa- comparison I was doing it's not really fair comparing fifty grand to two and a half million. Because after you pay the ransom, you then have to secure your machines, and there mm-hmm. is a cost associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a, that's yes, this is true. Well, you, you, you still have to secure your machines, but but it, 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 that cost has to be paid either way, though, right? True. Yeah. Yeah. So that you're you're out that money and out that, but yes, your systems were infected and. I'll tell you, once once your entire network has been infected, being able to guarantee that it is now clean is uh I don't think I could rubber stamp that. I yeah, I don't yeah. think I could either. Like like I don't know. I don't know how you could possibly at scale. If you were in such a bad position from a security standpoint that ransomware was able to fully encrypt most of your network, then I think that more or less that that implies that you do not have the know-how or capabilities or technology to be able to say with certainty that it's like, well, we cleaned it up. Like if, if it got that far in the first place, you clearly don't have the necessary tooling um, or, or expertise to be able to make the assertion that it's out. And you can hire a consultancy for sure, but the core problems that made it possible, I, I really doubt that you you have addressed. Um and the last section that we have here before before we're going to wrap up the show is just kind of general thoughts on ransomware. So we've we've talked about like what is ransomware? How can you potentially avoid it? How do you how do you uh, handle it once you get hit? What are some high profile ransomware hacks? And and like we have a bunch of opinions about ransomware because it it it's just such a salient topic, and it's just it's such an obnoxious thing that we we it's like well how do we fit this into the conversation? It's like let's just let's just Let's just throw it out there. Uh, general thoughts on ransomware, and 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 the biggest thing to me about ransomware that makes it so pernicious and so um, such a problem is the asymmetry. We brought it up before. Like any time that you start talking about asymmetric warfare, which I think you could classify this as, uh, asymmetric warfare is particularly hard to stomp out. Like the whole war on terrorism, haven't won that yet, and it's it's largely because it's asymmetric. You can have a super well-funded, crazy like military complex going after terrorists where they, you know, they're not super well-funded, 
but they can be so effective with the with the resources that they do have. This is the same sort of case. You can have a whole security operations center. You can have all of your like all this money that you're investing into security, and still it's going to take a very cheap attack with ransomware to take you to your knees. Um, and it's just I, I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the solution is there. Yeah. Well, one thing is we should be thinking about who is actually doing these attacks, right? And what what you're going to hear always is like uh, some group tied to Chinese government or some group tied to the Russian government or some group tied to the Iranian government. Uh, Let me be the one to tell you and be harsh that most of the time these are organized crime groups. These aren't true APT, right? They're not writing O days to do ransomware against you. They're not doing a lot of this stuff. Now, there could be cases of that, but a lot of times it's just organized crime. But you got to throw APT. You got to throw state sponsored. You got to do all these things. So people would be like, we can't defend against governments, right? Yeah. No, no. You, you could defend against this. What you needed to do is update your PR system or your uh, HR system. What you needed to do was update your, you know, uh, your IP phone system. Stuff like that, right? Those are very real things that people forget. If you would have done that, you would have been fine, right? Your PeopleSoft server wouldn't have been hacked. It wasn't APT. It was, I don't know. I need to come up with an acronym that makes fun of security <laughs> teams that aren't patching. Also, had advanced <laughs> persistent PT. threat. Let's see. Adva- advanced. Uh, Mediocre. Uh, rudimentary. <laughs> not really persistent kind of a threat. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, we'll work on it. Where's that government person that makes all those cool acronyms when you need them? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, th- that is my general thought on it, right? Is like, it's not APT most of the time. It's organized crime. It, it was lack of planning or or you might just be too swamped, right? Sometimes it's not just a uh, complete failure on the business side um, or on the security team side, I should say. It's a failure on the business side. Uh, and I'll argue with board members to that on to the end of the earth. But uh, it is a, uh, you know, if the security team was properly funded, they had the correct resources, you know, a lot of ransomware attacks could be addressed before they even become a problem. But with that, uh, I mean, oh, the other thing, oh, here's a spicy take. Uh, not everyone on this podcast agrees with this. <laughs> let's hear it why am i doing the controversial takes always do i just have I don't, the most controversial not, views yeah you're, you're just I, a spicy you're not boy. like explicitly signing up for it you're just saying what you think <laughs> i think you need to look inside pretty much answer that question yep yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um uh if you are a large company and if you uh you might have confidence in your security team and your security team may be extremely competent uh but there might be some other type of failure, right? Such as uh, you have a budget to hire three juniors um, to do the work of one senior. Uh, but what you forget is that those three juniors don't have the knowledge base of one senior. So with that, uh, maybe look into having some cryptocurrencies on hand, right? Uh, such as Bitcoin. That's the one that's most popularly used for, uh, you know, paying ransom. 
there are cryptocurrencies you should definitely avoid and uh, make sure you hire someone that knows more about cryptocurrencies than we do to discuss what ones that you should should buy uh, just so that you can pay it off, right? Um, but Bitcoin's down right now, right? It's cheap. Start buying it in buy preparation it of you paying off that ransom. <laughs> Chris you know, does not agree with this opinion, I believe. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not weighing on this either way. I, you could, you could go either way on that. You could go either way on that. I, one, one uh, last thing that I want to, that I wanted to bring up was like I was involved in a conversation the other day, and I think Drew, you're present as well. Um, then this had, this was when the colonial pipeline hack happened and somebody that had worked, I think she like worked in a naval office or something to that effect, um, was talking about how, you know, the, the U S government is making all this investment in cybersecurity and, and, you know, that we could never be breached like this and, and, and all this stuff. And, And so, so my understanding of her position was that, well, you know, this stuff doesn't actually happen because the government is prepared for this. And this is being said in the context of like kind of a, a debate around what do we what do we take away from this and, and how do we how do we move forward? And it just it felt so odd to me that it's like like literally this has just happened. Yes, Colonial Pipeline might not be a true government entity, but like they're a critical piece of infrastructure, that's for sure. Right. And it's something, it's not complicated, right? It doesn't have to be a kind of, like maybe you're maybe you're doing this training. Maybe you're doing this training for uh, well, if we get hit by an APT, this is how we're going to detect them. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, but when in actuality, it's like it doesn't need to be complicated to be debilitating, right? Like it can be something as simple as script kitty ransomware to a utility company that provides a bunch of capabilities to uh, to you know the, the country, and that literally brought oil production through half the country to its knees for for a period of like a week or two. And, and so, I just like one of the points that I want to emphasize here is it's not the sexy stuff and it's not the complicated stuff. Like you don't have to have some crazy APT that's going to spend a year to get in and they're going to get access to all the accounts to be really, really effective when your goal is disruption. All you have to do is something as simple as like hit this company that has outdated systems with ransomware and all of a sudden you have crippled oil production for, for, the, for the whole country. So crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have much to add for final thoughts. I mean, we've touched on the asymmetry, how it's been commoditized. It's not all APT threats. I it's, think what it's I pretty much none of it's APT is, threats. Yeah, yeah. I think what I keep coming back to is just how dissatisfied I am with yeah. just paying the ransom because, you know, uh. This, that's just not really a good ideological place to be in, I don't nope. think. But when if you're facing an existential threat, like, what do you do? Like, if you can solve the problem with 50 grand, I mean, I can't even, that's not even a down payment on a house now. Yeah. 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 Might be in West Virginia. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I was looking at houses out there, so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is a crappy place to be in, right? To just... Like your solution is just to pay for it. Uh, I mean, there are other solutions that you can do before it, right? The just pay for it is when everything else has failed. Um, Or it is incredibly cheap to pay for it, right? Is it going to cost more than $50,000 to spend 
to have your security team start focusing all their efforts, have your IT team and your engineering teams focus all their efforts to restore backups. Okay, if it's not, then okay, well, then maybe do that. But if it is going to cost more, it's it's a business decision. So, you know, it's a cost and benefit ratio. Um, you have to say it's going to cost us $300,000 to do that with salaried employees. Okay, well, $50,000 is less than $300,000, so we're going to go with that, right? But if it's something like, oh, it's going to cost us $10 million to uh, – to to fix the solution and the 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 you know the the ransom is a hundred million dollars or forty million dollars or twenty million dollars whatever then you might take the approach that oh, okay well we'll restore from backups right yeah so uh it's a crappy place to be in and and it's not the best you know approach to always take but you just sometimes the answer is just paying it, unfortunately. Sometimes you got to be practical and not ideological. If you, if you want to go ideological, yeah. don't pay it. But look, if, you're, if, you're, if what you're looking to do is solve the problem now, you don't, you don't have many options. Also, remember that the software, the software can take a long time to, uh, to, to decrypt the, the stuff. So just remember that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The three takeaways for today's show are, one, Ransomware is growing in prevalence and impact. Two, it is particularly impactful for the low effort and complexity that it takes to implement. And three, ensure your offline backup mechanism is functional and tested working correctly. Ransomware is a particularly problematic form of malware running amok across the internet today. While there are some service offerings out there that claim to protect you from ransomware, in reality, your basic enterprise security hygiene is the main thing that can save you. When and if you do get hit with ransomware, if you don't have working offline backups, then your only option is likely to pay it. In the case that you have good security hygiene and backup discipline though, ransomware is similar to other data failure scenarios in terms of impact and recoverability. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.